Welcome to this APTA podcast. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us. I'm Troy Elliott. In this podcast, we're going to focus on what's happening relative to physical therapy at the state level across the country. Now, at the time we're recording this in mid-March of 2023, most state legislatures are still in session, which means APTA state chapters are in the thick of it when it comes to advocating for the profession, with APTA National providing support, connection, and context to help them achieve their legislative goals. It also means that there are still opportunities for you to get involved in working for change, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But let's dive right into it right now. With me today are Daniel Markels, Manager of State Affairs uh, for APTA, and Taj Franklin, APTA State Affairs Specialist. Welcome to both of you. And I'll get started uh, right away, and I guess I'll start with you, Daniel. When was it? A couple of weeks ago, I think, APTA published an article that rounded up what's happening at the state level. Uh, at that time, the issue that seemed to be getting the most traction with the most states was the adoption of the Physical Therapy License Compact. Compact. First, remind us of what the compact is, and then well, what's happening this year. Sure, Troy. Thanks so much uh, for having us. Physical Therapy Compact basically allows physical therapists and physical therapist assistants to practice in other states other than their home permanent address state and do so without having to go through getting a full license, which oftentimes is more expensive as well as takes longer as compared to getting a PT compact that is affordable and can be issued very quickly. So it basically allows physical therapists and physical therapist assistants to practice across state lines. But before that happens, states have to join the compact. And currently we have 28 states that are issuing compact privileges, over 30 states have passed legislation they've enacted, but they have yet to implement the compact. And we have a number of states this year that have introduced legislation to join the compact. So that's very exciting. Some of these bills uh, that we put in the article since uh, the time of the article and since introduction have run into some problems for various reasons, but we still have a number of bills and we hope to get, uh, you know, hopefully at least four or five states added this year to the physical therapy compact. Okay, so the best case scenario would be that we'd pick up a few states this year. And there are, of course, there are always legislative hiccups that that get in the way. And maybe those states will have success next year. But I'm wondering about the states that haven't kind of uh, attempted to try and come on board yet. What's holding them back? Is it just a matter of time before they're on board or are there other factors at play? Yeah, it is. Uh, in some cases, there are other factors in play that give legislators some hesitancy, uh, depending on the state, as to passing the compact. Basically, what has to happen is that states need to accept other people, other physical therapists or other physical therapist assistants that have been licensed in their state. And some standards could be different, such as CEU requirements. Some states have more CEU requirements than other states. The compact is basically an agreement between states that we're, that they're going to have a minimum standard. In the case of CEUs, it doesn't dictate what courses or how many hours you need to take as a CEU, just that you have taken some level of CEU. So a state that maybe has specific requirements for CEUs or 
a higher number of hours than other states, that potentially gives them hesitancy. Another issue that's um, been problematic is that the compact requires all states to, if they haven't already, to require them to, for all new licensees in the home state, to require an FBI background check with fingerprints. Some states already do that, some states uh, don't. So they need to do that, and that can be problematic. And we've been having some issues actually in setting this up in some cases with the FBI, and we've actually introduced federal legislation along with some of the other therapy groups to try to get that taken care of. Another issue just generally is some states just, in fact, maybe just don't like the idea of compacts. They don't want to give up the control to allow other people from other states to come in that might not have the exact same requirements as their state. So it's a variety of reason as to why sometimes a state might not pass it. But we've had states where, you know, it was introduced maybe one year and it didn't get through, but later it got through. And this year we're seeing a couple states already, Florida, uh, that bill has run into some problems and probably won't move forward this year, as well as uh, Minnesota and New Mexico. But we hope to work out those issues that they had concerns with and bring it back, hopefully, in a, in a future session. Yeah, and I think it seems like time is on the side of the compacts because the more states who participate and the longer it goes on, it makes its own case of you know why it's an effective system. So it makes lives easier for PTs and PTAs, but it's also an evolution that's improving patient access to care. And speaking of patient access to care, I know that's something that's being addressed on several levels, including among states that are hoping to improve uh, patient direct access to PT services. So Taj, I know you've been tracking the direct access uh, lane there. What's happening there in the legislatures this year? Well, Troy, this year's definitely been a busy year for state legislatures that are now getting back to pre-pandemic activity levels. As for direct access, our state chapters have been busy fighting the good fight. We're currently monitoring a total of 10 direct access bills that have been introduced in Missouri, New York, South Carolina, Texas, and Virginia. The bills vary from expanding the number of initial visits and days without referral to complete unrestricted direct access. One particular piece of unrestricted direct access legislation in Virginia, House Bill 2359 and Senate Companion Bill SB 1005 includes language that no referral will be required for PTs to perform dry needling on a patient, which recently passed. In addition, we are also expecting to see direct access access legislation in Georgia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania this legislative season. The State Affairs Department is continuing to provide resources and sharing other chapters' experience to get these bills across the finish line. Great. And it, of course, it's not just about access, right? There's also the question of how much a patient should be expected to pay out of pocket to, to see a PT once he or she gets that access to see a PT. Um, so we're seeing some movement there too, I believe, right? Yes, we are, Troy. And we have already seen movement in fair copay legislation this legislative season. APTA West Virginia has passed House Bill 2436. This achievement was done through a lengthy process, if I may say so myself. APTA West Virginia started with HB 3534 and Senate Companion Bill 732, 
Their original fair co-payment bill in collaboration with the West Virginia Speech and Hearing Association and the West Virginia Occupational Therapy Association. Ultimately, their legislation was placed as an amendment to HB 24. 36, prohibiting an insurer from imposing a co-payment for services rendered by a licensed physical therapist or a licensed physical therapist assistant that is more than a co-payment imposed for the services of a primary care physician or an osteopathic physician. In addition, we are hopeful for the fair copay legislation that is out now in New York, Rhode Island, and Texas, and soon Ohio will be joining them once their legislation is introduced. That's great. Daniel, let's turn to the other side of payment now, uh, namely what PTs are getting paid under the various systems. Of course, the Medicare physician fee schedule is at the federal scale, but there are lots of other areas of payment that states have more control over, and that includes the business aspect of PT practice as well. So what's going on there? Sure. Payment, one of the biggest issues for physical therapists, definitely fighting it at the federal level with Medicare, but states uh, have a role that they play as they regulate uh, Medicaid policies as well as certain commercial policies. So a couple bills to mention is California has a bill related to prior authorization. This bill, if passed, would mean that a patient could see a physical therapist for up to 12 visits without a commercial insurer regulated by the state uh, requiring prior authorization. So that's exciting. There's a few other laws. Washington passed a law a couple of years ago that did the same thing, although fewer visits uh, before prior authorization. Nebraska actually passed legislation previously as it relates to MPPR, multiple procedure payment reduction, which basically means that if you are seen in a visit and it's for multiple codes, the second, third code potentially could be reimbursed at a lower rate as much as half. So they passed legislation to prohibit that in their Medicaid program. And now the state chapter has legislation to do that for commercial insurance. Additionally, in terms of increasing payment, which is always something that PTs uh, are, are interested in doing, Illinois has a bill this year that would increase Medicaid reimbursement rates for physical therapy. That's good to hear. And of course, as we can see where we are at uh, APTA National, you, you know, looking at both the state and federal levels, this sort of mounting pressure to take another look at prior authorization, uh, it just keeps kind of growing. And we're seeing it at CMS and we're seeing it at the state level. And there are some encouraging developments. We've uh, been talking about APTA state chapter advocacy around some pretty big picture concepts like payment and direct access and, of course, the compact. But there's also a fair amount of advocacy taking place around the parameters of what should be included in a PT's legal scope of practice. Taj, what either is or may be on the docket for lawmakers to consider in that area? Well, Troy, this year we've seen an increase in PTs expanding their scope of practice through legislation. Currently, we are monitoring legislation on concussion clearance, animal physical rehabilitation, imaging referrals for MRIs, ability to certify for disability placards, and dry needling, just to name a few. 
Digging deeper into that, there are two bills that I want to highlight. Arkansas Senate Bill 88 that will add physical therapists to the list of health care providers that are authorized to administer health care during youth athletic activities. The reason I'm highlighting this bill is because there is a recent spike in other providers such as athletic trainers pushing legislation to clear concussions. Then over in Tennessee, there is House Bill 661 and Senate Companion Bill 402 that will add physical therapists to the list of accepted health care professionals who can sign the form to approve disability placards, plates, and decals. The reason I want to highlight that bill is because physical therapists are experts in movement. They measure and track the modes of mobility, the quality and the safety of walking, and the risk of falling in the patients they see. Because PTs see their patients over time, they are expert predictors of the course of a disability and the patient's mobility needs during that time. I want to stick with the, the scope of practice uh, concept for, for a moment. Uh, and we know, just as you have kind of uh, laid out, that scopes of practice um, in state laws and regs differ from one state to the next. And you, you just told us about those variations. So my question, and this is to either of you, is so what's the relationship between the compact and state scopes of practice. I mean, let's say I practice in a state that has full direct access to PT services, but I have compact privileges in a state that um, allows me to practice, but they have more limits on what constitutes direct access. How, what's my responsibility there? What state's rules do I follow? That's a great question. Yes, so when a physical therapist is practicing in a state outside of their home state, whether they get a full license in that other state or if their state is part of the compact and they go get a compact privilege, let's say in a neighboring state, they need to follow all the rules and regulations as it relates to the state where they are seeing a patient. And that could even include if the patient they're seeing remotely via telehealth. So if you live in a direct access state that has, let's say, unrestricted direct access, but you go to a neighboring state and are practicing there and they have more limited or more restrictive direct access, you need to follow that state where your patient resides. And that's really true, not only just for direct access, but really all scope of practice issues. Uh, you have all the rights and all the responsibilities of having a full license if you have a compact. Great, thanks for the clarification. I, th I think it's an important one to remember. And, um, you know, it's I think it's an important argument for these states that are a little bit recalcitrant when they're thinking about protecting their own public and population is that the PTs who are practicing under the compact it may be coming in from a different state, but they still need to abide by the laws and regs of, of the state in which the patient resides. Okay, last item. Daniel, you mentioned to me that there may be legislation in the works that would change the operations of some state ET and PTA licensing boards. What's going on there? Sure. So interestingly, we had uh, legislation in two states, one in South Dakota that was successful and we're very excited about is state of South Dakota under legislation that was just recently signed by the governor is going to create an independent physical therapy licensure board. They had previously been under a more umbrella healthcare board. So that's exciting. On the flip side of that, we had legislation that we were opposed to and worked with a number of other groups to oppose. And this was legislation in Idaho where they do currently have an independent physical therapy board. And there was a proposal 
coming from the administration there to basically create what they called an allied healthcare licensure board that was going to lump in a number of different professions. We oppose that bill. At this point, I understand from the APTA lobbyist at the chapter there that that bill is not going to move forward this year. I think that they listened to the concerns, not only from physical therapists, but from others, and they're going to potentially come back with something different next year. But at this point, they are not moving forward with that legislation. Well, great. Thanks for that, too. Um, one quick question again to you, Daniel, is like I say, we're recording this in mid-March. Like, how much longer does this go on? When does this end for state legislatures? Sure, really. It really depends on the state. You know, we have 50 states and every state uh, does it a little bit differently. Generally, uh, less populous states meet for a shorter period of time. Some states actually, there's a few that actually meet every other year. Some states have already adjourned for the year. Some are adjourning. I know New Mexico is adjourning, I think, on Saturday. I know Wyoming has already adjourned. But definitely some of the larger states, like New York and California, they generally meet year-round. Also, even some of the smaller states that are in the New England area, like Massachusetts, uh, meet year-round. So it really, you know, we'll probably, by, I would say, the end of June have the vast majority of the states that will have adjourned for the year, but there'll be a number of states that will continue to work up until the end of 2023. Yeah, and generally we get together again about summer, late summer sometime and kind of do a recap of what all has passed. We'll write an article on that and we'll probably do a podcast on it as well so you can keep up with that here. Taj and Daniel, thanks again for helping out here today. Clearly a lot of uh, very important things are going on at the state level and they, as always, have some very real-world consequences for PTs and, and for PTAs. That's why we urge you to get involved with your state chapter and find out how you can help to advocate for the profession and for patients. Just visit abta.org to get contact information. We've got a whole list of all of them and how you get a hold of them. Or you can use this weird thing you may have heard of. It's called Google, I think it is. It's a, Either way, it's easy to find out how you can help. Also, it's fair to say that there's lots more going on at APTA and its chapters and what you heard today. So be sure to look for APTA Weekly showing up in your email inbox every Wednesday. Each week, we get you up to speed with important issues, upcoming events, member perspectives, and a lot more. If you're a member, you're automatically signed up for the service. So thanks once again, Daniel and Taj. I'm Troy Elliott, and thanks for listening. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, in Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.